0: Political Unmuted is a weekly politics show based in the northeast of England. The audience chooses the topics and we discuss them. So enjoy Political Unmuted.
1: because you'll see we've started with a different tune today um i'm desperately trying to find out which number of sh- show it is paul can you remind Se- me 73 73 well and uh, to those of you who are listening in thank you for returning um welcome it's great to see you and uh the dream team is here um, Paul Daly, the, 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 the boss and techno genius, Sam Townsend, the senior Durham County Council politician, uh, Laura Daly, um, that firebrand of feminism and wonderfulness, and finally Stuart, that fountain well of wisdom you are so privileged and i'm so privileged to be here with them we've got some great questions to discuss uh with you uh, uh, today but welcome to the show and paul
0: uh i wasn't quite ready for that john but that's what, what, what's different you, what's different is, yeah that doesn't mean i'm ready <laughs>
1: Moment of
0: the week, Paul. Yeah, um, so I'm gonna go with it's something that happened this week. It is a group called Palestine Action. Um, they they have uh, stopped the a factory that was making arms for drones for Israel that were being used in Gaza um, to bomb people. They have stopped them from producing anything at all. The company have left due to direct action, due to blockades. They've sold to a different company that is apparently not going to be making weapons. So, um, and this is in Oldham. So this is this is a, a big victory for direct action. Um, I'm certainly against, like, I'm not one of these people who says, oh, well, someone's going to sell them weapons. You know, I'm just like, don't sell weapons to people. Don't have uh, blood on your hands don't do that kind of thing so um, this is really good it's worth a look on on Twitter I'm sure one of our wonderful listeners viewers will um, share that tweet if they don't I will do that but it's yeah it's Elbit Ferranti have been forced to sell their factory and a new company are going to come in in their place so it appears that there aren't any job losses either so you know apparently you don't have to sell murder devices in order to make money. Go capitalism.
2: Particularly
1: (laughs) at the time when um, they're they're trying to stop um, any kind of um, sort of uh, even passive action uh, protests. That's fantastic news. Um, Who should I choose next? Laura Daly, Paul's wife. What moments of your week? Oh, she's she's. <laughs> no,
0: I'm her husband. My main she's not my, my main wife. job
3: is Paul's wife.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that's um, my job. I'm Laura's husband. You see? Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's really this. Yeah. I know this part of the show is meant to be like. You know easing us in and saying hello and all like nice and lighthearted and stuff but I find this part of the show probably the most difficult because I've had to stop watching the news <laughs> for my own mental health so my moments of the week always tend to be like about myself <laughs> so my moment of the week which I don't even think it falls into this week now it's the moment of the break um it has to be um social think tanks New Year's Eve show that we put out. Um, it was really lovely. It was really positive, and there was a lot of like hope to come out of it, which I wasn't expecting because we were gonna basically talk about twenty twenty one and do a recap of the year. Um, so that was that part was a bit depressing because <laughs> for obvious reasons. But then it was really nice, and we we had um, uh, Ian Hodson from um, the Baker's Union. We had uh, Anna Rothery from Liverpool, everyone knows who Anna is, and um, Jeremy Corbyn was on as well, um, Chantel and Dan, and, you know, people who you've seen on the sh- our shows before, it was just really lovely, and it was a really nice atmosphere, and I'm dead glad we did it, and you can still catch it, it's still available, so go watch it.
1: And uh, will somebody be putting that link up on the comments, Laura?
3: Uh, Tim Dredge is watching the show, so I imagine he's probably already done it by now.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Tim. <laughs> um, uh you move in the most exalted circles, Laura. Um, you're continually moving with uh, movers and shakers of all, all kinds. Thank you very much for all you do.
3: Undeservedly so. I'm a hanger on. I just refuse no, no, to accept no, no. as an answer.
4: <laughs> that was a bit ravey, wasn't it? Sorry. <laughs> um,
3: Samantha!
1: Uh, news from you, have you any news to tell us What's your moment of the week, or moment of the break? As moment Laura of be. the break.
4: I'm sorry, I'm suffering with terrible lighting today because I'm in the dining room and I'm struggling without my little studio. Um, my my moment happened today where my um, MP, uh, Deanna Davison, there's, there's an article in the Northern Echo that says that she is definitely not going to defect to the Labour Party. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, we weren't asking you to, hon. We don't want you. You wouldn't be invited. Bye-bye. Um, this is because I think it was the Times or the Telegraph or one of these... Um, very right wing papers actually ran a story suggesting that Red Red Wall MPs might be considering switching to Labour because um, because Boris Johnson's popularity is going down. They're not doing that. They're just spending a lot of time stabbing him in the back so that they're ingratiated with whoever the new boss is. Mm. Um, so she'd much rather do that than join the Labour Party, which is fine because we don't want it.
1: Um, There's a question on the the, the comments. Uh, Have you put the rest of the family in the cupboard then?
4: (laughs) No, unfortunately, the rest of the family are upstairs trying to do a bedtime and they are being quite loud. So if you do hear screaming, don't worry, they're not in the cupboard. They're just reading Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Ah,
1: really good. Fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you, Sam. Um, uh, Don't they talk a lot of rubbish about DNA? She's she's quite a, a, a news magnet, isn't she?
4: It's amazing. One tweet from her, instant half-page story, you know, and you do think it's not quite balanced, is it, um, in the local paper when you've got MPs like Mary Foy get a little footnote, you know, Graham Morris says something, he gets a little corner, Deanna Davison does a tweet and suddenly it's a whole-page story. Yeah.
1: No. No, I agree. Um... Thank you so much, Sam.
2: And finally, um, Stuart, your moment of the week? Uh, Well, my moment of the break was I went into the Christmas break with my daughter catching COVID, I'm assuming out of school. So we spent Christmas lockdown. Then we had two days of freedom, escape, where my daughter got to have a birthday party. And then my wife uh, managed to get herself some COVID and the heroic actions that they both took to make sure that I was safe. And I managed to, to survive COVID twice within my own household. Okay. So, I mean, an absolute m- momentous effort to, to make sure I didn't do a die. So big thanks to them. <laughs> do or die. This, um, this thing is, um, I mean,
1: Omicron is just so uh, catchable, but it's when it comes into a household the family just falls one after the other, the people people fall in family. So thank goodness for that. Take care, Stuart. God bless. Um, And and I don't know, uh, uh, as I look at the comments, uh, have anybody else fallen foul of of COVID in your family, sort of, and uh, what was your experience of it? Um, I hope that um, you've escaped. And if you didn't, I hope that it was very mild. Um, OK, thank you very much for your moments of the week, everybody.
2: Now it's time for the big story.
1: You know, this week, there were just so many huge and interesting story. Novak Djokovic, um, Prince Andrews, lawyers breastfeeding wires targeted i mean i I felt sure that that might raise a bit of interest um five of the world's most powerful nations pledged to avoid nuclear war how can you not think that that's very important we're on the verge of a major confrontation with russia that came way down and then you've got a year on from the capital riot and a tony blair knighthood no None of those things made the cut, and your number one thing I was amazed. Um, but it's a really interesting uh issue with lots of uh kind of uh tentacles into o- other areas. Emma Watson's pro Palestinian post sparks anti Semitism route. Paul, tell us all about this and um and uh how we need to think about it.
0: Um, okay, so. Emma Watson um, from uh, the Harry Potter films. She played Hermione in the Harry Potter films. Pretty famous. She's done other things as well. She's done um, also a lot of uh, activism. As, um, so in her own right, she's um, she's been pretty sound politically and, and quite a few really good causes, a lot of good feminist causes, etc. Um, but not really hugely... Um, thought of as in in the kind of world of um in the world of you know israel palestine middle eastern politics she's not really thought of that she posted something on her instagram which should be relatively innocuous really um and it was the word solidarity is a verb and in the background there were some palestinian flags um so obviously this this suggests solidarity with palestine as a as a nation and their right to exist and and shown her solidarity to them. It might have just been something that she thought was really, really good to say solidarity as a verb. You know, it's something you do rather than something you just say because, like, we heard a lot over over COVID times, the conservatives were using solidarity, weren't there? As a, as a I don't know, for them it was just a thing to say to try to sound important. But anyway, she, um, she tweeted this, and then... Um, ambassador Danny Danny Dannon, if I mispronounce that, it's just because I've read it, read it and I've read it wrong. But Danny Dannon, who apparently is a, an ambassador to the UN for Israel, retweeted it, quote tweeted it, and said 10 points from, from Gryffindor for being an anti Semite. Now, for me, showing solidarity to Palestine is not anti Semitic in the slightest. Um, anti-Semitism for me is, um, is a, a hatred of the Jews or, 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 um, some kind of, um, I don't know, some kind of bad treatment, negative treatment of Jewish people. Um, it could be unconscious, it could be conscious, but you know, it's got to be negativity towards Jewish people. Now, that was positivity about, um, the Palestinian state, Palestine. Like, you know, most people in the world think the two-state solution, most people advocate for that, I suppose, on the world stage. So a two-state solution with Israel and Palestine existing. The idea that someone who is a representative of the Israeli state was saying to suggest such a thing would be anti-Semitic, it's really, really... um, For some, it might have moved the goalposts. For others, it might have shown where the goalposts have been for a while you know, the idea of Palestine's existence to him appears to be anti-Semitic. Now, for me, I think it's... For me, I would have suggested that was an anti-Semitic statement to say that Jewish people do not want a Palestinian state to exist and therefore the existence of a Palestinian state is anti-Semitic. You know what I mean? like that For me, that's an awful thing to say. I know so many um, Jewish people... Who are massive advocates for Palestine, um, the Israeli State and Jewishness, although um Israel's is a Jewish state, that does not mean anything that you know it, it doesn't mean that Jewish people are all for the Israeli State. There is a massive variety of opinion, just like there is for any people, because funnily enough, Jewish people are people and they will have a variety of opinions on things. They do not think with one mind. So therefore, I am incredibly confused at this. Um, I was shocked, but it's very interesting. I think it's probably had a, an extremely negative effect on, um, on this person's argument, on Ambassador Danny Dannon's argument by picking on Emma Watson, the beloved Emma Watson. So, um, she's gone up in my estimations, uh, well done to her. She didn't deserve the, the nastiness that came her way and, um... Yeah, I agree with her. Solidarity is a verb. Um,
1: There's one script. Just before we move on, Paul, now you said to yourself, you said that um, Israel is a Jewish state and 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 they actually passed a law in the Nesset um, saying that, um, asserting the Jewish identity of the state of Israel. And I think sort of the argument from that then is that, um, therefore, Opposing Israel is, um, in itself, an anti-Semitic act. Now, she now, how would you how would you react to 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 that statement? Uh, sort of that that sort of if Jew, if Israel is a Jewish state, surely it is anti-Jewish to oppose the state of Israel, to criticise the state of Israel. That's the argument, isn't it?
0: I don't think it is the argument because I'll address that argument in a second. But she said solidarity is a verb, and there's a, a few Palestinian flags on the picture, so that's nothing against. Like you know, the idea of the what is the suggestion Danone's argument. I
1: thought I was saying I was suggesting that. It, we well, it might to, be, but that's not like what.
0: Danone. But is that's that, clearly what not what he's is, arguing. Is, For me, that's sorry, clearly what, what, not what, what, what he's he arguing. arguing. He's he's arguing that the existence of a Palestinian state is anti-semitic not the not the um the non-existence of an israeli state because there's no there, there, she doesn't say let's get rid of the israeli state there's no suggestion there it's just simply saying solidarity with the palestinian people and as i said earlier on most world leaders advocate at least verbally a two-state solution now I don't believe they actually I don't believe that that is actually what they're pushing for at all. I believe that they're pushing for a one-state solution in which Israel controls the entire region in a lot of cases. However, that is not what that tweet says. It's just simply say so saying solidarity with Palestine doesn't mean you hate Israel. You know, like you what, might you might disagree an with his, some of Israel's actions, but that what, doesn't that mean you want an it not to exist as well. So what, what,
1: what Dad in the Noun said was that um, the uh, Hamas um, deny the existence of Israel, um, that they are terrorist state attacking Israel, and that therefore to support them was anti-Semitic because uh, sort of it was they attacking the state of Israel. Uh, now, uh, sort of, I mean, there is an answer to that, but I'm inviting you to to sh- share your thoughts on it.
0: Right. Again, like I don't think talking about Palestine necessarily means Hamas. You know, (laughs) we've had a Palestinian special on here, and there's like you know there was no representatives of Hamas on there, but there were people who lived in Palestine and had dreadful treatment by the Israeli state in Palestine. The fact that I have a problem with the actions of the Israeli state does not mean I have a problem with Israeli people, and does not mean I have a problem. By extension, and this would be a huge extension because Jewish people are from all around the world, Israel and further afield, there are some people who actually, Jewish people who disagree with the idea that there should be an Israel. They believe that the Jewish people should be a nomadic people without a state. There are some people who have a completely secular idea and think that there should be no um, religious states whatsoever. You know, like I, I would say I would prefer states, if, if they exist at all, to be secular. So his argument there is, is absolutely appalling. He's leapt to some sort of conclusion. I believe it was for, um, I, I don't believe this was an innocent act. I believe this is in order to diminish the right of Palestine to exist um, and Palestinian people to exist. And I believe that it's he who has had the aggressive, has, has done the aggressive thing here. And I believe that, again, Israel are incredibly aggressive in their government's actions towards Palestine and Palestinian people. Um, and we've seen, like, you know, obviously Desmond Tutu died recently. And his, ta- his um, ideas around this were that Israel were behaving in an apartheid fashion that was worse than what went on in South Africa. That's Desmond Tutu's words, not mine. Um, so, you know, I think we really need to have a look at this. And I think it's shone a light on, on and I think a, a lot of young people will be looking at that and thinking, what in the world is this man trying to do to Emma Watson for apparently no reason or a very misguided reason? Thank you,
1: Paul. S- Sam, um, I mean, I think I agree with Paul that sort of Emma Watson has um thrown this issue into stark uh, relief. It, it, it she so, so certainly put it on the the world stage by speaking out and by um receiving the reaction she got. Um I mean, do you think that's been a good thing?
4: It's it's complicated and it's one of these things where like People who are very aware of the intricacies and the complications surrounding the issue struggle to talk about it eloquently and accurately, so to expect, and to be fair to her, she's got obviously a lot of experience of, of, of working in, in lots of, like, uh, charitable organisations, but still, top of the bottom of the day, she's an actress, right? So you, it's not really actually her specialist subject. You can't expect somebody to to be able to write a thesis on something which isn't actually their, what their job is, you know? So, and I think um, that's the same goes for, sort of, her followers and the people who, who follow her. So I think you've got to you've got to be careful just because you're throwing it into the spotlight that you get the right people talking on it um, in order to properly illuminate the subject rather than just having lots of people on Twitter shouting at each other. Twitter's not a great place to have an illuminating dialogue. Uh, it is a great place to throw hate around and to uh, blow a, a throwaway comment totally out of context. So I think, um, you know, yes, I'd like everybody to have more awareness of the very complex nature of the whole situation, um, but probably Twitter's not the best place to do it.
1: I mean, Emma Watson, uh, she's a UN Women's Goodwill Ambassador. So she she is used to to making political comments on on the world stage. sort of, so I, uh, by going through, um, uh, by going so public um, onto social media, do you you think that she misjudged the issue?
4: I think she probably, like you say, she probably knows what she's doing. Um, And it's probably, um, you know, yes, it's always good to talk about things, but like I said, I just don't think Twitter's a great
1: place to have that discussion. Yeah, I mean, my my, my personal feeling is is that, um, in a way, she called out those people whose immediate reaction to any criticism of Israel is that this is um, uh, anti-Semitic. Even any support for the Palestinian people is (laughs) anti-Semitic per se. And 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 sort of just threw that issue into stark relief, and um, and and sort of and all all the best for it. Thanks for your comments, uh, Stuart. Um, is um, uh, do, do you think this is? Uh, um, I'm not going to ask you this question. So the, we all have children whom we love, and um, it's possible to love our children and want the very best for them and still to be furious about certain things that they do and, and, and to be very critical of things that they're doing and saying. And and sort of in the same way, is it possible to be a supporter of the state of Israel and pro-Israel and yet be furious about the things that they're doing in Palestine? Is that a fair statement, do you think? Uh, I
2: think it's absolutely true that any any person who is a friend of people is a friend of Jewish people. And that, you know, the, the only real uh, agenda here is to want to care for all people and to see some, you know, equality and justice for all. Uh, I think that that's the, you know, the underlying message that we, we want to get through uh, clearly, uh, short and often vague comments on Twitter and the the sphere that you want to maybe use for anti-racism education. Uh, you know, Such short, snappy, uh, almost biting type responses aren't a, a place perhaps to, di- to discuss a really nuanced uh, anti-racist uh, argument. When you say that, are you referring to Emma Watson's statement or to Danny Danone's re- response? I think Danny Denone's response is inherently uh, snappy, as, as Twitter tends to be, as a platform. Uh, it, it's designed to to make you respond in a, in a way that isn't going to give a great uh, amount of detail. Again, with most uh, tweets that go out, they're not packed with the reasoning behind things or the the evidence uh, to an argument often, so it's not really the best platform to be having any of these kind of conversations. But I think there's a also there's a missed uh, opportunity there to actually do some, you know, anti-racism education on a platform that's not be, really being picked up on as such. And certainly with the kind of audience that you might expect of Emma Watson with regards to Harry Potter. You know, introducing a very complex situation—perhaps uh, younger audiences who won't know how uh, to go about discussing, you know, this very complex uh, situation—is a, it's a difficult arena. Um,
1: now you see, I'm. Can I can I challenge you as well? Absolutely. Because I, don't, I don't think that there's anything complex about it. I think the way that Israel is treating the Palestinians, the state, the, the the Palestinians, particularly in Gaza, is is just a cut and dried right and wrong. It is wrong, and it's very it's very um, it's very clearly wrong. Um, Paul mentioned the word of apartheid. I, I think it's it's a kind of sort of quasi genocide if you if you care to look at it that way, and. Sort of, when Emma Watson says solidarity is a verb, what she's saying is that we need to do um, more than just say, oh, those poor Palestinians, that we sort of need to take action to support the Palestinians. Now, I think that's a
2: cut and dried, I don't see that as nuanced or, or complex. I, I think the subject matter is very cut and dry, as you say, it's the approach that you take to discussing it. that is, you know, like anything, even if you were knocking somebody's door, to try and win their support in an election. It all comes down to how you have that conversation. And that's the real battle for anybody to try and make a change in the world, isn't it? It's about how you approach the situation. The, the arena that you find yourself in trying to make an argument is the, the most difficult part of it, rather than the actual subject matter that you, you want to talk about. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart, for your wisdom.
1: Uh, Laura, finally, um,
2: sort of, and this is
1: where it becomes relevant to the Labour Party um, and uh, sort of, um, so you, you uh, we understand that you'll want to speak wisely and, 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 and you may not want to, but at the end of the day, um, I spoke earlier about the fact that immediately you start to criticize Israel. There are some people despite the fact that the HWR uh, working um, ar- arrangement says that it's okay to criticise Israel, um, uh, but sort of they immediately cry anti-Semitism, particularly in relation to Palestinians. I mean, do you think that this has will have done anything to um, call that out, to highlight that as an issue within the Labour Party?
3: Um <laughs> I mean, I would hope so. I would really hope so. I think this whole thing is is just, it's become such a mess, hasn't it? It's, you know, being labelled an anti-Semite is such a, a hurtful accusation, especially for somebody who's so vehemently anti-racist. Um, and I think comments like um, Danone's and um, Erdan, the current ambassador, who had some horrible things to say on Twitter as well, um, you know that... It's cynical weaponization of it for me. Um, it really is. And I just think it's it's, um, it's a good way to silence free speech on this. It's a good way to um, shut down the support for Palestine because people are too scared to say anything. Um, and I think my view of it is, you know, you can't conflate a, a government or the actions of the state of Israel with Jewishness. That in itself is anti-Semitic. If I criticize the things that the Israeli government are doing, that doesn't mean I don't like Jewish people. In the same breath, I criticize every single day, the things that Boris Johnson's doing. Does that make me anti-Christian? And I think it's, we've gone so far down that rabbit hole now within the Labour Party as well. You know, the Labour Party, um, this has been a subject that has been at the top of our agenda for many years um you know with with everything that happened with Jeremy Corbyn and and um definitely this of course anti-semitism is an issue all racism is an issue and should be stamped out 100% like that is not even an argument that's not a debate we have with anyone um but I think this particular one and I think Emma Watson has fallen right into this trap as well um and because she's so high profile and she said something in support of Palestine, everybody's jumped on it and gone, oh, anti-Semite, to scare people from wanting to have their say on it. <laughs> and so people keep their mouth shut. And so Palestinian support diminishes. Um, where And there'll be no advocates left for oppressed people, you know. And you say quasi-genocide there, John. I, I, I'd suggest there's not a lot of quasi-ness about it
1: you're a wonderful team thank you so much for all those very deep and uh outspoken comments um i'm sure that the people listening will have valued the, the things you had to say um but um uh sort of um, we'll now uh move on um hopefully to something uh less contentious Corruption. Corruption, Stuart. Can Boris Johnson just do as he damn well pleases and lie about it and continue to get away with it? Um, Sort of the question on the the, the, the poll was in relation to the great exhibition text when he was clearly selling favours for money. To help him decorate, but since we've had um, all this outcry about a bring-your-own-booze party, so sort of,
2: what have you got to say about this? I think the, the, the big question is Boris: is Boris Johnson corrupt? The answer would be yes. I think across the board on everything he does and touches at this point. Uh Clearly, this story came about after uh They managed to find the missing phone uh after he'd already said sorry for getting his his house decorated and ba- it being paid by somebody else he he said sorry for that apparently and now uh the' it's come out that uh that he he's found the phone that he forgot he had and there's a series of text messages that show quite clearly that he's been selling access and he's been selling influence uh to to this Lord Dowden uh to get his flat decorated. Uh and it, it states quite clearly in one of them that you know, essentially access for this great exhibit exhibition uh would be removed uh if if Lulu didn't get the right to six more paper up. So yeah.
1: It's it's a bit of
2: a mess on that. But he's apparently he's broke no rules again. He said sorry. And because this is being treated as a, a second incident, it's not. They're not looking at uh, the original incident of where he got the the money put forward. It's a separate issue. He's just said sorry twice, slap on the wrist. Now to happened about it? And then this morning, it's uh, an email has been uh, discovered, which was an invitation to a garden party for a hundred people, to bring your own bottle. Uh, Understand, obviously, while we were in a lockdown where we couldn't, I believe, basically, we couldn't see more than six people at the time. So, this was clearly organised by Downing Street. It was their email lists. They were expecting a hundred people. They were expecting people to be having a drink, getting drunk, you know, which is in itself is difficult to maintain distancing in. Absolutely no rules for them. Will he get a slap on the wrist? Will he blame somebody else? Has he got somebody else to chuck under the bus? We don't know. I mean
1: the, um, and this, I mean, all the time there's this continual drip, drip of scandal. I mean, the the things I sent through were that that lady moan who's uh, sort of got shares secretly in a company that was Awarded PPE contract and, and 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 on it goes and on it goes. Um, I, I watched that film uh, Am that series Am and twenty how many years did it take? Twenty three years to get the and and still nobody has nobody has actually been held accountable for that. This is the establishment. Is this just another example, Stuart,
2: of the establishment just getting away with everything? I think there's a sense that they can do it, that the only real people that the answer to is voters at a general election, that there's no consequences for any of them. And it turns your stomach because we have, as a nation, gone through a pretty rough time and we've all tried very hard for each other. And they haven't tried even the, the, the slightest, not one iota, have they tried to even stay on par with us or, it, as you would expect, set an example for the nation. They have taken every opportunity to uh, stick money in their pockets, make mates, give mates money, uh, have big house parties. It's, we, we must be the laughingstock of the world as a, as a, a government. I can't say that any other place in the world right now this would happen without somebody ending up in prison, but here we are. Thank you, Stuart. Laura,
1: do you think that um, it's finally beginning to hit home? I mean, certainly the the Tories seem to be going down in the polls. Do you think that people are eventually
3: realising what a corrupt government they've managed to elect? Oh, I know on. better, I know better than to trust polls, John. <laughs> Never trust a poll. I honestly don't know. It does feel like they're taking the mick and that they're just now seeing what else they can get away with. And it seems like, really, honestly, by now, it shouldn't have taken this long to see through Boris Johnson. You know, he's um went out of his way to protect Owen Patterson. He gave um Matt Hancock's made how much is a 30 million for a ppe contract Haven't never done it before he promised the british public 350 million pound a week for the nhs um and then he cut 65 million for fire services he's i mean the list is just unreal if we could do a show just listing things that he's promised and hasn't delivered on or things that he's you know, done behind closed doors that he shouldn't have done and gotten away with. So I think the, I think the British public are well aware of the type of person he is. And either there's too much apathy and people are just like, meh, well, it, it is what it is. They're in charge. So they get a say, or people are on their knees, which I believe to be the majority of the case, just trying to get through the day and think what on earth could I possibly do to change it? This is the situation I'm in, I'm going to have to live with it. And, you know, you spend many years without a decent opposition and no one's really taken them to task. And, like, we don't have the media on our side as well, so when we do want to highlight these issues, where do we go? Um, so, yeah, the British public... Of course they know. We all, we know what he's like. And, uh, you know, we can't laugh this off anymore. We can't just go, hey, Boris, bless him. You know, These are, he's, he's killing people with his decisions and his legislation. Um, and he, he knows exactly what he's doing as well, because now they're making it even more difficult to say anything against it. You know, if I go outside with a placard, I might get arrested now because, of you know, I'm making such a such a civil disobedience and it's like they know what they're doing and they continue to get away with it and it'll keep continuing to get away with it unless we again this this is a theme that is ongoing on this show every week somebody talks about the mobilization of the people getting us all together behind a common goal that goal really does need to be fairness and equality and getting rid of the the elite establishment that we have had for decades and decades um under various different guises that have run this country basically into the ground and now we're a tax haven for rich billionaires thank
1: you yes um uh neil terry it's not boris that's the problem it's the system that props it up which I'll say. Thank you very much. Um, Paul, you have a slightly different... I saw your, um, your, your, your Facebook um, uh, affirmation of your tweet. You have a slightly different uh, view on this, don't you?
0: Yeah. Um, so I actually think this is noise. Um, I think I know exactly what kind of people they are. I've always known exactly what kind of people they are. They were always the kind of people who would be partying while telling you not do. Because we have been um, introduced and shaped by a system where we are told to be subservient. So we're told that we have betters. We're told this throughout. Like the Queen exists. She is better than us, and she is better than like she is better than the aristocracy who are better than you know, and, and, and this this system filters down. We've got this in our in our national psyche that somehow we really aren't as important as them, and when they do things, it's actually not that bad because because they are um, better than us, and this has got into the bones of the country. I think people really aren't willing. Like we're soft as shit. We are soft as shit. We have taken a kicking from these. What am I angry about? I knew exactly what they were doing. I am furious that they were having parties and telling other people not to. I wouldn't have been had they been in a situation where I said, you know what? We're working together day in and day out. We're right next to one another. Actually, it's going to make no difference if we improve our mental health a little bit and let off some steam because we're going to catch COVID from each other if someone in here has it. It's not a massively great risk. And we talked about this at my work when we were getting coughed all over and stuff by kids and then told, we couldn't speak to anyone else. We weren't allowed to socialize outside of work. Even if it was on the path outside of work, we had to go home straight away. We weren't allowed to have a drink with one another. And if we'd have been allowed to maybe have a little chat with one another, maybe things would have been slightly better during lockdown. I don't actually have a problem with that. The problem is telling people what to do when they weren't doing that. Um, But the real problem for me is if you go back far enough, if you go back, like, you know, like, a couple of years, or last week, or anything like that, you'll find that these people are doing appalling things. Appalling things. They are killing people with austerity. Loads of people have died due to austerity. Pip assessments humiliated people and killed people. The parties didn't kill anyone. Why are we more angry about a party... Than we are about our government killing its own people with awful, awful neglect and and just viciousness, vicious policies. So this is the problem that we've got if we look at you know, if we look at what we're getting angry for. And the reason they're getting angry for is this is the media, this is so they can shuffle the pack. You know, let's bring in Michael Gove, he's a good guy. Let's bring in Michael Gove. He was great with education. They genuinely think that. The man was an absolute disaster for education. He is horrible. He's allegedly coked up all the time, just like Boris is allegedly coked up all the time. These are, uh, these are things that, you know, this, these people should not be in charge of the country. But then we've got another layer of establishment to protect them even. The media aren't going to let any real change happen. They will get up in arms about something like this. Maybe it's time for Boris to go. Maybe that, that's what they'll say. And I saw the leader of uh, the Conservatives in Sunderland Council today basically said Boris has to go. And he probably will, you know, over time. But he'll be replaced with someone just as horrible. They might work harder, but their, poli- their whoever it is, their policies will be just as heartless, just as damaging, just as self-serving. Giving money to donors while putting... COVID into care homes, by releasing COVID patients into care homes as a policy, that's something to be furious about.
1: Um, Sam, um, um, just to comment on on you, Paul, I think that what they're doing is they're letting Boris uh, suffer all the acrimony, all the hatred, all the anger. What they'll do is they'll ditch him sometime during this year or next, then they'll have um, a new person and they'll, they'll hold an election And uh, I hope that people believe that it's a clean slate. Um, Sam, Mark Longley, I think people are more fed up about the parties because of the British sense of fair play.
4: Yeah, it's a a really good comment from Mark. Uh, Also, I think there's just a real simple, obvious, like, you can't make any excuses for it. When when, And I agree, um, you know, I'm upset about all the people, the people who were sent into care homes, knowing that they had COVID, knowing that the staff didn't have uh, the appropriate training to isolate uh, infected patients or the, the facilities to do so. I'm angry about nurses wearing bin bags for PPE, but people find ways to explain these things away <laughs> oh well it's not it's not the government's fault it's the it's the it's the healthcare company's fault it's the care, care company who should have had the appropriate PPE. oh well you know it, he's doing his best it was a totally uh un, yeah, nobody predicted that it was going to happen even though well, everyone predicted it was going to happen you know there's all these excuses people have been using but there is really no excuse Uh, that can excuse having a garden party while you're literally telling people that they can only meet one other person in a public place while social distancing. There's no way to excuse that. It's just so simple. Um, And I think that's something that's really struck a nerve as well.
1: Just finally, Sam, yes or no? Is this the end of Johnson?
4: I think this shows that the end of Johnson is coming. Unfortunately, it's going to be a bit of a drawn out process, but you know, the Tories, like I said earlier, the backbenchers are smelling blood. Uh, They're doing their best to stab a knife into him so that they can be uh, in the good graces of whoever comes after. So the process is definitely underway, Um, but I'm sure as they all do, he will fall upwards. Mm
1: Thanks, uh, people, for those comments. Next question, Coulson statues. Um, I'm, I'm really biased about this. I'm not a very good host about this, but let, let me <laughs> <laughs> Why do you reckon, uh, Laura, to the fact that the BLM protesters were cleared over the toppling of the Edward Coulson statue?
3: I have a funny feeling that I'm going to be a bit one-sided on this one as well, John. Yes, yeah, so they, they were recently being cleared, um, but there is... Um, That is ongoing, actually. I've just read about it tonight, Um, but yeah. So there's loads of uproar, especially there's a lot of Tory MPs who are saying this is they're they're Mm -hmm. appalling. Um, And what was one of them said? um, We need to get we need to be more anti (laughs) walk. Just like it shows a clear misunderstanding of the reasons behind the toppling of that statue. Edward Colston was a very 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 well-known slave trader, um, but there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, he's a philanthropist," and completely just washes over the whole colonialism of it, and doesn't look into the the slave trade that we had here, and it's really depressing and really upsetting. Um, so this was a proper victory for the you know the anti-racist cause, I think. Um, but the attorney general's now saying that she may take it back to. Um, to the appeals the court of appeal um and people are saying that that was just a political maneuvering from her because she's originally said that you know she's back backing what the Tory MPs are saying and you know this is you know it's something that sh- it's our history and we should celebrate it and we shouldn't um we should be appalled that this has um been you know civil disobedience or what have you but then on the other side of it she's saying oh no because she's had a lot of pushback from that but actually now she's saying oh well no what I want to do because the case was so confusing um, and difficult for people to understand I want to take it to the appeals court so we can clarify the law for any future cases that come showing clearly that she has like she's been accused here of wanting to sort of up our own profile and I think that's exactly what she's doing she's trying to play both sides um but yeah it's I, absolutely the right thing and if it starts the conversation about us having a look at actually what people we are sort of um vilifying and what people we are celebrating and how that translates into statues and you know representations of these people up and down the country um we we really need to start having that conversation now we need to really be thinking do we really want to have somebody who traded over eight hundred thousand people um in our, you know, in our streets, do we want to sort of have that Lord known for us as our great achievement? I think probably not. Um, and I think, um, anybody who, essentially wants those statues to stay up and wants them to be celebrated you can you can like them for the fact somebody's put some hard work into actually physically building a statue you know let's say that that is really hard work well done good on you but we can't be celebrating these people and by saying I want to celebrate this person you are outing yourself as a racist and that is just a fact so yeah I do think this is um been a really Bit of good news for once. Um, I'm really pleased. I think the court of appeal thing will just fall flat on its face because I, I just don't think there's an argument here, um, and I hope it will breed a revolution <laughs> in terms of what what people we celebrate and, and what statues we we look up to. Thank you.
1: I mean, Paul, um, that there was a fantastic article in the conversation about the fact that there, there are legal grounds, a strong legal grounds for that this being the right decision, that the jury took the right decision. This wasn't a rogue decision by the jury at all. And, um, and, and I don't know whether you saw that article, um, the, the, ju- the questions that the judge made them ask. But as I read that, um, actually, um, it came to be clear that there are now strong reasons which allow you to, in fact, Take actions such as this that are grounds on which you can validly take actions such as they did, toppling the statue and shoving it into the um, uh, in, into the dock. Do you think this is a step forward for for our freedoms of protest?
0: It's uh, it's it's really interesting. I think um, I I had to get my head around the idea of why it was legal. So the, there's always there's always someone who will say to you something like that. They can't do that because it is criminal damage or whatever and you think i suppose it is but sometimes i would always go down the lines of sometimes when laws are a bit crap you gotta break them um and especially in the case of this where they've brought up this petition time and again to get it removed and um but apparently it's because they were the people because they were the people of bristol and that statue was representing the people of bristol if the people of bristol wanted it wanted it to come down and they believed that they were um, they were doing something that they thought caused offence. So that because this caused such offence to people, the people of Bristol, then therefore they were justified in what they were doing because they thought they were upholding the law. Um, and that was a really, it's a really interesting legal argument. And I thought it was, I, I was pleased to, to learn about what it was. I sometimes think to like what people would do, like, you know, Would people, when they saw the statue of Saddam Hussein come down, and I know it's a little bit different, but in a way, Colston is someone who chucked 20,000 slaves into the sea because, you know, they were not healthy and they weren't going to make them some money. So 20,000 people thrown, thrown overboard, that kind of thing. This guy was not a good guy. Did, were the people saying, actually, you know, Saddam Hussein is part of Iraq's history. That statue needs to stay up. It's a, It's been a funny little argument I've seen going on. And it's really nice to see a few people getting riled up by it.
1: Thank you. Sorry, I've got to cut you off because we're running mm. out of time. Um, as we always do, Paul. God bless you. Uh, Sam. Is the right place for this statue therefore in a museum where it can be um, properly addressed, the pros and the cons, and, and not in a park where it's an object of veneration?
4: get in the seat no (laughs) 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 i think you know that's a really good point you know there is there is a middle ground between destroying these things and leaving them where they are and that is putting them in a museum where they can be studied and where they can have a proper um education program around who they were, how they got their power, and why it was a terrible thing. Um, And, you know, I was having this conversation with Laura the other day, you know, there's there's a statue in the middle of Durham marketplace, and local people just know it as like that statue of the horse. Yeah. In the middle, and it's it's a uh, man on the back of that horse, and that man owned coal mines, <laughs> and he 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 uh, subjugated the the working people of County Durham to to make profit off of people's blood it's sweat. Complete
1: and bastard, and, Yes, and indeed. Absolute bastard.
4: And people don't know that, and people should know that um rather than just go oh isn't that a nice statue of a horse
1: There's no tummy no
4: it's not a nice <laughs> statue of a horse
1: <laughs> um so sort to of, i was about to sort of say i mean sort of do you think um that we should not knock down that statue as well i mean should that statue go <laughs>
4: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it's something to talk about about whether it's an appropriate thing to have in the middle of Durham City Centre. Yes, there'll be people say, "Oh, we've had it there forever; it's part of the culture or whatever." But there's an awful lot of culture. Um, and that, that stick a traffic cone on his head, Mark Longley says. Uh, I could think of a few things I'd stick on his head, um but. Um, you know, it might be one that needs that I would recommend relocating to the new history centre with a nice big explanation of what, what he was and what he did.
1: Thank you, Sam. Uh, finally, Stuart, and um, uh, we, we this is I, I've, I've totally missed time timed the lesson. Uh, <laughs> this, this teacher's messed up. So, um, uh, Stuart, here's a a, a a thing I want you to address. I sometimes get, they're saying we need to take down the statue of Captain Cook in in Whitby. And this is a man who who really sort of was an amazing man and and expanded our knowledge and seafaring ability. He he discovered the way to scurvy at sea and all these things. An amazing chap. Um, But he was a man of his time and he expanded empire. And I sometimes feel sorry for these people because they did great things. And we look at them with our retrospective glasses on and say, whoa, that was unacceptable. But it wasn't unacceptable when he did it. Do you, do you, do you think there's any, any excuse for some of these poor chappies? And they're mainly chappies, aren't they? Sort of these poor chaps who, who sort of just got
2: out of date I think we we have good examples in in history of how we've dealt with this in the past. If you you look at post-war Germany, you know, there was Nazi stuff everywhere. Those statues were taken down in a process over several years and you you went through a process. And in the modern era, you don't listen to uh music by people who've been convicted of the you know certain things. Uh, you you don't uh, watch Rolf Harris reruns d- anymore, do you? You can pick and choose what you want as part of your modern culture, and I think that we we need to have a process where we go and look at properly at the pros and cons of what we want to keep, what we, forget, we what we want to forget, what we can put in a museum, and have a proper discussion about. And we don't really need to say we're going to take down every statue overnight we we need to have a proper discussion about it and across a multitude of things not just you know the 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 slave trade we need to be looking at as sam touched on the the oppression of people in durham i mean that, that horse and the gentleman in the back i, I really love when people complain that it's the wrong way around and It's doing him an injustice. That, that always makes me smile that he's the wrong way around, because that's the, that's the best we've got for a little while.
1: And <laughs> um, just uh, to the listeners, you know, I just spring these questions on people, and, and most of them I just make up in my head is sort of a, uh, during the last comment. and and the the wisdom and the depth of the answer and the common sense they speak, is just a delight, isn't it? Um, it's now 10 o'clock. Sam, um, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to to lead on the the thing. I'm not going to ask anybody else. You'll just have to sit there, shush. Um, And uh, Sam, just your question was, um, how is the government coping with Omicron and um, uh, sort of what are your fears for the future?
4: Well, exactly. I mean, the the government seems to have um, not worked out the... You know, an illness is not just bad if you die from it. An illness can, can have lots of other problems associated with it as well. And usually, if somebody's got to be ill, they might have to have some time off work. Now, let's not even go into uh, isolation periods or the rest of it. This is the fact, if we had uh, a virulent cold or flu spreading through the population like Omicron was, we would have exactly the same problem that we're having now, which is that people are getting sick. So they've got to have time off work. And unfortunately, our schools, our hospitals, our police stations, our our council offices are all run by people who can get sick. So we're having a real issue with our public services crumbling at the moment, you know, we're actually at the point where um within the next week or, or two, we can expect schools to have to inform parents that they're not going to be available to be open for all year groups because they're not going to have the staff to teach kids safely. And there's been literally no support put in place by the government. And that is the government's job. I know this government doesn't like, you know getting getting the hands dirty and actually doing the job but it is their job to make sure these basic building blocks of society work properly Um, all they could do for teachers was send us a link to some supply teaching websites so that people like me who have been supply teachers and chose to leave because i'm not going to work for 60 pound a day um well you? We can just go back and do that. No, if I wanted to do that, I would be doing it. Thanks very much. So yeah, it's a total mess, based on the fact that the government haven't worked out that sick people can't go to work.
1: Thank you. I'm not going back to school either. <laughs> I couldn't cope. How 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 use teachers cope, Paul? Uh, I, I I don't know. How I did it when I did it, I can't I can't imagine. It's a. Uh, it's, it's, thank you so much for those comments, Sam. Sorry, everybody else. Um, if you've got something burning to say, I'm so sure Sam will let you you'd chirp up in her bit. That's it, people. Fantastic, don't you think? Aren't they brilliant? Love this. Love this hour um, of, of common sense uh, with, with the Dream Team. What's going to happen now is that Paul's going to play some music and hopefully the right music this time. And um, the, um, sort of, And when we come back, Sam is going to be in charge and uh, look up some of your comments. Thank you for all your comments. Thank you for listening. And uh, if you've got to go, bye-bye, but perhaps see you for the second half. Thank you.
0: Welcome back. I'm Samantha Townsend. It's really nice to see you for the second half. I'm going to be leading the show. I can't do as good a job as Samantha. I'm not really Samantha at all. I'm Paul. But Samantha has grown weary at this late hour and, uh, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> So uh, what we're going to do is we are going to have me lead this because I am the person who has got the technological capability to do it. As John says, I'm the technological wizard, which is complete nonsense. But, you know, let's go with it as well. Let's pretend that's true. Um, And uh, we'll go through some of your comments. Your comments were particularly amazing as Well, you know, as as always, isn't a really good thing to say after you're saying particularly amazing, even better than normal, which was uh, absolutely brilliant. So we're going to go through a few of those and discuss them as a group. So what I want to do is quickly on that last point, Omicron, shall we quickly go through it? And John, I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you think about um, the way the government's treating um, Omicron? With regards to your last question, was it is the government sleep, sleepwalking towards disaster, something like that?
1: it, yes. The, the 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 average uh, for the week is only one hundred and seventy thousand. It was much worse than this last week, and and sort of there's only eight thousand people in, in in hospital, and and uh, sort of only one hundred and seventy one died, and and you think these are horrific figures the thing is just exploding and 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 um, that I think they're throwing the NH under a bus and um, and you think why are they not why are they, and 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 the biggest thing of all is this um this sneaking thing that's coming into more and more um, Tory members speech that we need to learn to live with this. That it we need, it's not a pandemic, we need to understand that now it's endemic. And it's all right, is that if if um sort of you're triple vaccinated and a healthy person, and it's um highly likely that it'll be very mild if you get it. Um, what about those people for whom it isn't mild? By sheer chance it's very unmild and, and it kills them. And what about those people um for um, sort of uh, like my wife and, and Stuart, for whom just to get it is is highly likely a death sentence and and, and sort of um, well, they can shut themselves away if they want, and that's the kind of argument that's going on. and I find the whole thing very, very disturbing indeed and and the normalization of 170 people dying a day a day. You know, we go mad about the number of people who were knocked down and killed on the roads. And sort of, it's the, the number of people who've died, Paul, is now two and a half times the number of people whom the Nazis killed on the home front uh, in World War II. And we do, oh, yes, well, sort of, we've got to become, get used to this, get used to it. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm horrified. Um, by the laxity and it's the only government that's doing it the, the other nations are actively taking measures to try and halt its spread and and um and why the tory government are pursuing this line i just do not know but my golly am i hostile to it
0: fair um <laughs> so yeah. As does anyone else want to add to that, or do we want to go to the? Do we want to go to the comments here? What do we think, people? Laura. Oh. oh. You you coming Stuart in. To it? in.
2: I, there's always, you know, the people who get worse in in any situation, and once again, it's it's disabled people. It's vulnerable people, it's all people, it's people with deficiencies in their immune system. And when a government says learn to live with it, what they're saying is, you people are going to die. And that's what it's come down to. We are happy to take that on board, that you are, you've been at home for two years. Some of you have killed yourselves out of, you know, committed suicide because of the, the sheer pressure and magnitude of the impounding factors on your lives, other than just the, the COVID. And they've, they've decided that it, it's, it's fine. It's absolutely fine to, to go back to work. Well, thousands of people essentially are given a death sentence. And we, we see the news, people are reading the papers saying, oh, well, there's going to be no PCR just for asymptomatic people and people who were holed up at home, lonely, isolated to the very extreme now for what must be months on end for some people, no proper contact, they're just being told, get, get ready to die.
1: Paul, oh, um I'm just thank you, Stuart. Sorry, i and not diminishing what you've said, which is absolutely true. I'm getting lots of people saying that they can't hear what I'm saying, but I'm not muted oh, it's, online. It,
0: it's it's fixed now. So um just just to explain what happened there. Um I have things to do and <laughs> this so I had to set up a whole load of new screens and then uh, present a section that I'm not used to presenting. So uh yeah, that's that is totally my fault. So um but please do forgive me. So yeah, you are you are audible now, John. Everyone's everyone's audible you mean
1: now. All those words, there's the words, of amazing wisdom, sort of. Um, nah, um, it, it was about it was about, about ten
0: seconds. It was about ten um, seconds. So this
1: is so, uh, an outrage. Uh, yeah, Paul. I think I, I think I it, protest about it. Sort of, it's, um, p- it's
0: part of the charm of the show. It's usually myself <laughs> who um, who I mute for long periods of time and I'm yammering away and everyone's saying Paul's chewing a brick. so like you know it's normally when I'm talking nonsense actually it's so I can pretend I was funny when um, when it comes back (laughs) oh I said something really funny and everyone else laughed out of pity Um, but (laughs) so yeah that's how we are Um, coming on to the questions um, Neil Terry it's funny how Johnson was in ICU in April 2020 due to COVID and he seems to be okay with taking risks with it was he lying? Um, I don't. I, I, there's been some weird speculation about that, but we're not saying, we're not we're not uh, endorsing that. But that is a is a comment. There, um, it does make people think about where's his compassion. I would I would probably suggest that he's uh devoid of, of normal compassion rather than that. Although he does lie about a lot of things, so it's not a surprise that people might challenge that. Um. So, um, Kath Conroy, my son didn't die of COVID, but, but died due to COVID causing mental illness due to lockdown. And these people aren't being counted. This is a huge deal that hasn't been addressed. I'm, I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier on, didn't I, about people's mental health and stuff. But, Laura, do you want to come in on this? Because I know you've got a lot of strong feelings oh, on I have a lot to on, say. Their, on lockdown uh, mental health. Yeah, really sorry cast. about that as well, really Kath. Sorry. That's absolutely That's awful. And um, love and solidarity isn't it? to awful. you
3: um yeah uh so yeah lockdown itself has been um has been really devastating on the mental health of many 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 people in this country myself being one of them as Paul will attest to (laughs) I'm I'm better now um but also not just that the, the side effects you know long COVID it's absolutely crippling and just I mean, to be fair, if the government are going to say, oh, well, you know, just learn to live with the disease itself then they're really not going to care about any any hangovers from it, you know, but it is really it's debilitating. Um, You know, I know loads of people who are suffering with long COVID at the minute and you, ca- you just can't function as a human being. And then so that increases your isolation. It increases your inability to do anything but sit and think and anyone left alone, not getting any fresh air, not with anything to do with too much time to think is going to end up with mental health problems, especially if we've already got them because of the nature of our society at the minute, the way it's structured against the working class people. It is, as Stuart rightly said, it is always us. It's always the working class. It's always the less well-off. It's always people with disabilities. It's always people who need that extra bit of support who get forgotten about. And these are the people who are going to be suffering from things like long COVID, from things like mental illness due to lockdown, um, be, being isolated in your house, some people have the luxury of working from home, but it's not necessarily a luxury. It is really difficult if you're in the house on your own all for weeks and weeks on end. But also, what about all the people who haven't had any option, who have had to go to work, all the nurses, all the people who, who work in supermarkets, you know, all these people who we said were lifesavers and were amazing and key workers are still classed as, you know, um unskilled. And they didn't have a choice. They had to put themselves on the firing line. That in itself causes mental health problems. I need to feed me ch- my kids. I need a roof over my head. I'm going to have to put myself in the way of danger. Not one bit of this is being talked about, except from people like us, from activists, from people on these sorts of shows who think this is a serious problem. This is going to impact us and our kids for years and years to come. And you know there were no mental health services before this so why should there be any after but the government need to really start taking it seriously because this is gonna keep going this is gonna seriously affect people for years to come um and i do i i don't have any hope like it'd be lovely but i don't have any hope that this government will do anything all we can do is get rid of them and hopefully rely on our communities to do what they've been doing all along um and checking on each other and trying to help as best they can but it ne- it really does need to be taken much more seriously because it's devastating. Mm.
0: Yeah John I'll, br- I'll bring you in a second I was just going to add to that a little bit that some people don't really seem to understand one another's experiences here and I'll give you a quick uh, anecdote like I've seen people have a go at people for not wearing a mask um, in a workplace now the difference there being that People who have to be face-to-face with people all the time and are getting coughed all over all the time really don't see that as being a thing anymore. Like a lot of people don't think, well, wearing a mask, I'm going to get coughed at, it's going to go in my eyes or whatever. Um, these aren't really issues, whereas the the person in that situation is able to lock themselves in a room. And keep social distance from people and sit and wear a mask, and it's kind of like a different world and different pressures. and some people going, "Oh no, I'll, if I go near someone, I'm going to catch COVID." Another person who's already accepted that they are in inevitably going to catch COVID, it's a really strange situation. Um, John?: um,
1: I, I was just going to build on what Lawrence said, and uh, speaking as a historian, um, the, great, the the bubonic plague, the Black Death had an absolutely um, catastrophic effect upon the attitudes uh, and beliefs um, of people in uh, in Western Europe, in in Europe generally. Um, It completely overturned the economy. It completely overturned the social structures, um, but it was absolutely uh, infused with this utter despair and and the pointlessness of of life now um i don't think covid has been i mean you have to understand that the the black death two-thirds of the people in some places died and 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 it was it, it was in terms of death it was much worse and of course they didn't have any um Uh, medical cures prayer was the only answer and it clearly didn't work so it it, the, the the effects perhaps were greater but nevertheless you're absolutely right laura this government needs to take into account the fact that um britain the world will be our mindset will be permanently affected by the things we've been through in the last 2 years it's going to change so many things it's not just a matter of, of people having mental health problems it's about everybody having uh, mental health changes to them and um we'll have to wait and see um how those outwork over the over the next two decades i think
0: Stuart, did you want to come in? Because I do have a question for you on a different topic, but feel free to come in.
2: Just thinking of how much we really need like a a proper post-COVID government and economy, how different it needs to be, where we come out of this starting to create caring jobs, where, you know, we we move into automised workplaces as you know, the benefits of technology, but we're also creating a social care system, a social welfare system that really looks after people and, you know, is inherently designed to care for people through their lives, attached to the health service and the education services that we need. You know, we can build a brand new world right after this. We all know, we've all suffered the same thing. We've all had the same enemy we've got that shared experience and we can do it. You know, we all know what we want from life and we need to start bloody asking for it and telling people, this is our expectation for what we want in the future. We don't want jetpacks. We want stability and caring and not getting news of It telling us that we ain't going to have tests and we're all going to die. Mm-hmm.
0: Tories. I think uh, they often as well, they are making, um... They are making quite a lot of, uh, let's say, capital out of the fact that oh, we're unprecedented prices, and therefore the NHS is struggling. NHS is struggling because it's been underfunded for years. The NHS has struggled for every year since, probably before this, but twenty sixteen was when it really hit, and we had um, we had people lying in uh, corridors and. You know, remember all those scenes for every single winter. So this is not a new thing for the NHS to be struggling, and, and the idea yeah. that they're putting things off because of the of COVID is a little bit um, unforgivable. And I think we should never let them forget that that uh, we do remember that it is not it's austerity that's caused these problems. Obviously, the pandemic has been an awful thing but that is not what caused the problems in the NHS. The problems in the NHS have been there for a very long time. Uh, John? Um, Just going back to what Stuart
1: said as well, um, I mean, it just resonated with me. One of the things that turned the Iraq war, which was a mistake and a bad thing, into the disaster it uh, turned out to be, was the lack of an exit plan. They went in there... They knew how they were going to win it, but they didn't know what on earth they were going to do when they'd won it. And and, and we all saw what a disaster. Compare that to the Second World War, where from 1942, they were talking and discussing in factories, in in, in women's mothers' unions and things like that, the kind of world they wanted to come out into after the war, when it finished. They, they, They came out, people were very clear about what they wanted. And 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 sort of the the differences and Stuart's absolutely right. We have no exit plan for COVID, and it's typical of this sloppy, no good, useless government who just sort of reactive, absolutely, uh, and very often reacting too late. Um, so there's there's no forethought about the future. And uh, and Stuart's absolutely right. We should be now thinking, um, particularly about the 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 jobs which are valuable to us and how we take care of, of those jobs and keep them in, in our society and, 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 keep them, uh, staffed if nothing else. Thank you, Paul.
0: Okay. Um, I'm going to do a couple of, a couple of comments here, and then I'm going to go to a question because like there were a couple of comments I was going to use as a question, but I'm just going to now read them as comments because there's a good one that's come in just now. Um, so Paul Paul said the museum, of, when we're talking about museums, to put in the statue of people like Coulson is the Museum of Complete Bastards sounds like a winner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Neil Terry makes um, a less, a, a less um, funny but a very, very poignant point. Here. Um, they argue that it needs to be a democratic process to take them down. Why isn't there a democratic process before they put statues up? And I think that's, a, that's an incredibly important point, that, isn't it? So, oh, well, you've got to go through 20 years of democracy and loads of petitions and we'll still ignore you. But they didn't. They just stuck it up because he had money. You know, he was rich enough. So uh, his family were rich enough. So he managed to put like, um, you know, let's stick one up at Jimmy Savile. Um, it's, it's that kind of argument, isn't it? Um, but we've got a really good, nice to see um, some names that I don't recognize from the stream tonight, which is really good. So we've got Guston Dunn um, replying to us saying, who has benefited from automation? It seems like people are working longer hours. Um, so Laura, who's benefiting from automation?
3: Uh, business owners because they have to pay less amounts of staff. So the few staff they do have have to work longer hours. Um, I've noticed recently in Asda as well, they've, they've put all of those, you know, they used to have like the self-serve things. Well, they, now they've got the majority of them are all those things with one person walking up and down just to make sure your red light doesn't flash off. And all the check, normal checkouts, they're only staffing up to three people. And that's it. So these three people are like overworked because you know, people like me, I don't want to use those self scan things because I'll be there for ages waiting for whoever to come and say yes, I'm over 18, or, or I'll scan something wrong, or I'll put it in the bag wrong or something. So they've got queues and queues of people up the aisles. So they're overworked, um, and I really do hand on heart believe it is a money making scheme. The business owners save money any way they can um and automation would do that you know it's a one-off cost once you've got your your electricals your equipment and everything you just have to pay a little bit to sort of get it looked after and serviced it's not you don't have to worry about them being late you don't have to worry about paying sick pay you don't have to worry about maternity or paternity leave it's just it's a no-brainer for um capitalists for me that's that's who i think are benefiting from it
0: so John, as an extension to this, why not we? Why don't we have a three-hour week with all this automation now? Sorry, not a three-hour week, a three-day week. Three-hour week would be uh would be nice, but uh, <laughs> why don't we have a three-day week like was predicted in uh, Ke- uh, Keynesian economics? Predicted a three-day week, didn't it? Is that right?
1: Well, when they started the when the computers came in, I can remember um, people uh, saying that you know we need to prepare for increased leisure the sort of uh, people came into schools advising children to go into leisure industries because that's where the future lay because we were all going to have this extra leisure and um, of course it was just hijacked by neoliberalism wasn't it Laura's absolutely spot on they just um, lied to us and uh, uh, I think that's one of the, the 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 and it goes back to mental health as well. One of the worst things is that, and and please forgive me. I realise you're into trouble um, for talking about like this, but particularly men have historically defined themselves in relation to the job that they did. So you would say to a man, oh, sort of um, tell us about yourself." Oh, well, I'm a teacher. You know, it, that that was the first thing they said. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and so many people have had, and it may be true of the women as well, Laura. I mean, sort of. Um, but for, 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 I'm just particularly aware of it being a man thing. And so many people have just had their jobs stolen from them, and 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 so there's this huge mental health issue that Who am I now? I'm not a welfare. Who am I now that, that that I'm sort of uh you know n- not an engineer and 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 automation has swept in and and it it can do without us and and somebody sort of set, talked about useless people being um that, that, that we, we're not interested in you if if you're useless within the neoliberal system so many people are really useless and um uh I, i'm very, I mean, ultimately you have this kind of vision, don't you, of this Star Trek world where you just wander over to the replicator and, and, and all your needs are supplied. Um, but the other side of that is that we need to give people a reason to live. Having our physical wants met is only a fraction of of, of, of what we need to be um balanced and happy human beings and 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 sort of automation just does not even begin to to it to address that and um uh so who has benefited from automation i think i agree with with laura um the billionaires mm-hmm. really yeah they i think one of the reasons
3: that they? people are obviously he's mentioned there as well why are people working longer hours I think we with automation also came the gig gig economy um and zero hours contracts and things like that so people have two or three sometimes four jobs just to earn one wage um and so they take and work wherever they can and that is that is really bad for mental health as well because you don't know where your next Pay is coming from, you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you just take anything you can get at any time of day. um The whole system, though, like just coming back on what John was saying, there, the system's designed that way, I think, for a reason. You know, we're born, we're brought up to try our best and aim high. One day, this could be you. If you just work hard enough, you too could be a millionaire. When that's all rubbish, if you're not born into it, you're not going to be a millionaire, really, unless you win the lottery, which Paul will tell you the odds on that. Um, And I just think we're sold this myth for our entire life that you are only achieving something if you have a title or if you have a job that has a certain wage packet with it. We need to much more prepare our young people for life and how to be happy in life and that happiness is you succeeding at something because I think it is causing far too much damage. And John, you're absolutely right. I think that it causes men a lot more damage because men are, you know, traditionally the breadwinner and you have to have your status in the house and everything. All this patriarchal structure that needs to be absolutely abolished. But we're still we can kid ourselves as much as we want, but we're still in it. There's a reason why shows like Pop Stars and X Factor and all of that are so successful and so highly viewed. It's because we are, again, sold that myth. This could be you one day. Look, all you have to do is work hard and all your dreams will come true. You know, we talk about, what's her name, Molly May? You know, we all have the same 24 hours. (laughs) Not quite. My 24 hours and Beyonce's 24 hours probably look different.
1: Absolutely spot on. Can I read something, Paul, from one of my history books? And it's direct, this is a letter in 1873 from a female spinner and a letter to the newspaper. And it just sums up the issue of mechanisation and uh, improved technology and the effect upon working people. The spelling is unbelievable. It's just so wonderful. And there's no full stops which I will try and, uh, and, and take a but I will run out of um, breath, but here we go. She writes, while reading in the paper today on the subject of shorter hours of labour, I was reminded of a circumstance that came under my own notice. I was minding a machine with thirty treads in it. I was then made to mind two or thirty treads each, and with improved machines in a couple of years, I was minding two machines with two hundred treads each and double speed. So that, our in our improved condition, we went as if the devil was after us for ten hours per day, and the females have often been carried out fainting what with the heat and hardware. And all this is done in Christian England. And then we are taught to be content in the station of life to which the Lord has placed us. But I say the Lord never did place us there, and we have no right to be content. Mm. I like
3: that. <laughs> is that not
1: yeah, it's wonderful it. and
2: true?
3: Yeah, Stuart.
2: Clearly, the the argument around optimisation isn't that it's a uh, we know it's coming. It's a thing. Technology moves on. And uh, a wise old man said that we should really own these things if they're producing things. The means of production, one might say. <laughs> uh, so there's, real, there's a moral argument that we're in now. Do we, do we morally want to see people have jobs when we go to the shop? Do we want cashiers scanning things so, that when pensioners who might see no one else for that week get the opportunity to have a conversation, do we want to make sure that our postmen and women are still post people? That in 10, 15 years' time, they're not some robot drone just dropping stuff off in the garden, because they are, in many ways, uh, walking social workers as they knock on the doors, fixing nice problems. We have a real ethical conversation that we need to have around our workplaces. This is no longer just about, uh, do we want to accept a job or not anymore? Do we want to accept a job with an employer who will get rid of us? We, ne- we need to start re-recognizing our value. We need to aim our ourselves as at work that is socially valuable. We need to start educating ourselves towards work that is socially valuable. No longer should we be you know, taking, taking on apprenticeships in things that will be dead in 10 and 15 years time. We, we need to create the people that we need for 10, 15, 30 years time. And John touched on it, how we, we de- define ourselves as people about our job. Now, I, I define myself as a person who was a panel maker. That was a job I loved, and that was taken away from me, not by an employer, but by circumstances of genetics, misfortune, illness. I could no longer do that job anymore. Uh, my investment in time and education was down the drain. I was no longer valuable in that situation. It's, I, want, I want to do it. I wanted to do that job. That job was great. I really enjoy that job, but there's no place for me in it. So I, you, we have to start as, a, as workers looking at the places where there's a place for us in the future. Have to, we have to find a place in, for our future and, and recognising that we, we have to have some control over the ethics of automation
0: is a big deal. Absolutely brilliant, Stuart. Um and no discussion on this kind of thing would be um would be complete without me mentioning the bullshitization of the oh, workplace as well. Um <laughs> because as well, because you Stuart you were talking about socially valuable jobs and there are all sorts of things and what if like, you know, what if we did have drones to deliver the post but people did wander around each other's streets and say, Tell you what, we can check on each other and let's do that kind of thing and you know they had as part of their leisure time they could do these things that would be really good but instead what often happens is they'll invent a layer of middle management in order to protect the proper management from anyone actually realizing how terrible they are so the people below middle management are going hey these middle managers don't know what they're doing and the middle managers are looking up to the boss going oh well at least he's given me a job in middle management and i've got a little bit of a loyalty towards them and then they will create a layer of bullshit. And capitalism is extremely good at creating bullshit jobs. Um, I'm going to mention a few comments. that have been some absolutely brilliant ones. Um, thanks to Tim Dredge. As always, really, really uh, useful information. So thank you for that. Anthony Riley um, taught, uh, has been involved as well. Mia, thank you very much. Vonnie uh, was able to really contribute on the Emma Watson stuff, saying about how she's held firm. She hasn't taken the post down. She's been really good. So once again, solidarity with Emma Watson. Um, hello to Colin White. Uh, and hello to um, anyone, Terry, um, anyone, and Neil, and anyone I haven't mentioned Um. It's been really nice to have you on tonight. Uh, You've been, as always, really, really good, really well-informed and uh, a lovely bunch of people. And hopefully we've done you a nice job tonight. Laura, would you like to tell people what they can do to get involved with Socialist Think Tank?
3: Yeah, okay. Uh, Right, okay. Please do get involved with Socialist Think Tank. You can find us on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook. We do have a website as well, socialistthinktank.com. Head over to our our website and become a member. It is absolutely free to become a member because we are socialists. We don't expect you to pay. However, if you do have a touch of the capitalist about you (laughs) and you can afford a little bit, please do donate just so that we can continue to make shows like this for you um and yeah just get involved we we always um believe that people making comments you are not just an audience member you are a participant in the show we absolutely love that so yeah keep it up thank you for joining us and um we'll be here on saturday i think will we be here on saturday i don't know we'll definitely be here next tuesday we we might
0: we might have something lined up i'm working on something that i haven't talked to you about yet so um So yeah, might surprise you. Um Quantum Skyline just mentioned uh, said don't ever automate um socialist think tank because um, because he loves you talking rather than robot versions of yourselves. I'm actually a robot, so um you know, <laughs> but the rest of them are real humans, which is uh which is really no. Cool. Thank you again for for um yeah, press hear Paul struggles with the stream. That actually does work, but uh yeah so thanks again to everyone um look out for other things please do tell your friends to do things like um subscribe to um our youtube channel and to get involved in other ways really does help if you share our things if you share our posts if you like us like things that we do on twitter that does contribute towards um us growing as a channel We do think we kind of have a nice bunch of connections thanks to Laura who does all the organising and we do try and bring you some really really top quality guests but no more top quality than you will get on this show with John and Stuart and Samantha. We will see you all again soon and uh, hopefully you will all stay well, stay safe out there everyone and, and get healthy as well. Make sure that you care about yourselves a little bit because the socialists need to be really, really healthy, ready for the struggles ahead. Take care, everyone. <laughs> I sounded a bit bonkers there, didn't I? Um, <laughs> see you there, everyone. keep the
3: red flag flying here.